This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, isn't it about time your printer got smart too? Now printing is smart with HP+. And the HP Smart app is how it all happens. You can print from your phone with just a tap, no matter where you are. Even from your garage slash home office slash yoga studio. Huh, that is smart. HP+. Learn more about smart printing at hp.com slash smart. Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. So this is Dr. Gary making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. And we are kicking off our Leading from the Front podcast today with a gentleman I've known for about seven or eight years and have had the opportunity to work with within his company, one of the largest drywall companies in the country. And Richard Seat, the Senior Vice President of Precision Walls, uh, really glad to have you with us today. Good to be here, Gary. Thanks. So, Richard, as uh, you know, we just talk about leadership, and I have been fascinated by your career when I think back of you starting in your teens, working, putting up drywall, working in construction, just working hard. You know, you you learned really early on to work hard, Mm -hmm. and with uh, no formal education beyond high school, uh, no college, no master's degree like a lot of executives have today, you've reached one of the pinnacles of a large company. And I want to talk about that journey a little bit with you and, and what you've learned and uh, what, what got you to where you are today. Because there's a lot of, there's a lot of hardworking people in a lot of industries today mm-hmm. that, you know, they've got dreams. They want to have the things that we have when we get to a level of leadership and, and possibility. And you've been able to do that. So let's talk a little bit about the leadership and then maybe some advice you have for some of the young folks. Okay. Uh, born into a military family. Thank goodness all the traveling was over by the time I came around. But obviously still grew up with the expectations of a sergeant major in the Army. So while I wasn't in the military, oftentimes I felt like I probably was. But not a great relationship with my dad. And that caused me to leave home. I dropped out of school. And as you said, just started finding manual labor jobs. And I realized pretty quickly that I, I didn't want to do that forever. And I knew I had to have an education. And since I had chosen to leave formal education, my only choice was to try to start educating myself. So I just started picking up any book I could find on anything that I thought would be applicable and reading books. Do you remember like some of those first books that you picked up that kind of started to guide your your thinking? How to Win Friends and Influence People. Oh yeah, Dale Carnegie, sure. And The Seven Habits of Successful People. Highly Effective People, People. yeah, Highly Effective by Stephen Covey, yeah. I I worked for Covey uh, back in the 90s. It's great stuff, yeah. That's the first two books I read. Wow. And they really got me excited. And I had a boss. He was very rough. He was very tough. And he came to the job site one day, and and I was just chit-chatting with him. And in a joking way, I looked at him. I said, you know, how do I get a job like yours? Hmm. 
And he said, it's really easy. You come to work every day and you outwork everyone around you every day. And I thought about it and I said, you know, what do I have to lose? Let's try it. <laughs> Let's try working hard, which yeah. this really actually you were since you were young, were brought up that way with a sergeant major father. And I can yes, sir. I can relate. My dad was enlisted in the Navy and uh, became an officer. And I had a similar household. Uh, the relationship you had with your dad is very close to the relationship that my oldest brother had with our father. He was tough. Uh, by the time he got to me, though, I was the fourth. He was tired. Yeah. <laughs> Mine so, wasn't tired. <laughs> no, he well, he was a sergeant major, but my dad was an officer by then and he had other things to worry about. So <laughs> Yeah. But um Yeah. I, I just kept working hard and I kept reading and I learned a lesson early that honestly still serves me today. Oftentimes some of my best teachers were teaching me what not to do rather than what to do. So I figured out pretty quickly, every person around me had an opportunity to teach me something. And I hate to say it, but oftentimes learning what not to do was just as valuable as learning what to do. Yeah. So do you, do you remember like a couple of things or is it so far and you've created such habits around what not to do that you can't remember anymore what not to do? I mean, uh, don't come to work late. Yeah. Okay. Be, be on time every day. Yeah. Don't argue with your boss. Ah, there's you know, a good it, one. Yeah, it's okay to question and it's okay to push back, but you you have to have the emotional intelligence about yourself to figure out, okay, this is this is a person in authority. It's okay to to have this conversation and and intelligent debate. But when you sense his frustration, you need to pull back and say, "Okay, you're the boss. I'll do it your way." So, talk a little bit about what's the best way, you know, when you, when you think about young people in their twenties, thirties, forties, and they're, they get frustrated with their boss. We all do. And they need to approach their boss with something that concerns them. What, how do they do that? I think first of all, they are respective of his time mm. because I think that conversation, just like anything else in life, timing's important. So you might want to spend a couple of days learning his day, learning when he's the most busy. And that's obviously not the time you want to go talk to him. Yeah. So you really spend the time to observe and watch like what's going on in their life before you even approach the conversation. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, my boss, Brian, he's the president of the company. And if I have something that I want to talk to him about that I think it's sensitive, I mean, he and I've worked together 22 years. That morning, I'll start watching who's going in and out of his office and uh, how long they stay in his office. And what they look like when they come out. <laughs> Absolutely. And, yeah. and that's kind of a good indicator. Hey, today's a good day. I'm, you know, he may be in a good frame of mind. And it's, it's not that he's a bad person. He, he is actually the best person I've ever worked for in my life. But he has a lot of things going on. And the last thing he needs is, is me coming in and just adding one more thing to the pile. So when people are coming out smiling, you, you may go talk to them. When people are coming out frustrated and have that look on their face, eh, another day might be better. Absolutely. Because yeah. it's it's not the end of the world. I can wait. Right. So right. my advice would be timing. Try to pick your time. Whatever you want to talk about, make sure you have thought it all the way through. Hmm. And if whatever you're going to talk about um, – needs a resolution, 
you should already have a proposed resolution ready to discuss with him and explain how you got there. Because oftentimes, and, and Gary, you know this better than anyone, uh, good leaders, they want their people to think for themselves. Absolutely. And they don't want to be the problem solver. They don't want to take all the monkeys and put them on their back. They want everyone to keep their own monkeys. So if someone comes to you and says, hey, I'd like to talk to you about this. This is a problem we have. It's, it's really bothering me. This is what I think we should do. Well, I'll be honest. I'm personally going to get way more engaged in that conversation because I know they've thought it out. They've cared enough to think it out. Yeah. Yeah, that's an important thing to uh, remember as you get more experience is to never complain. Always bring up an issue, an opportunity with options yep. and and recommendation for which option you think is best. But I I know as a CEO of a company for a while there, I felt like I was the only one thinking. Yep. And part of the problem was me. You know, I was taking on too many monkeys. And what Richard is referring to for those listeners that may not know, Ken Blanchard wrote a book called The One Minute Manager Meets the Monkey, which is about delegation and understanding how to make sure you don't take on the tasks or the, the monkeys of somebody else. It's a metaphor for those tasks. And once I started to engage my team more and expect them to, to think more, if you will, they did it. And they're spectacular. And I'm sure you've seen that yourself. We sometimes as leaders yes. put too much pressure on ourselves without expecting others to think things through. So how have you, in all the, you know, and I, I know Richard, in your background, you were the branch manager, I think of three different branches. Yes. With uh, Precision Walls. Every single one of them, if I remember, won the Branch of the Year Awards within yes, your sir. company. I, I was very blessed to have a good team. And yeah, you've always talked about that. And your team did a wonderful job winning six out of seven years in Wilmington. And then your second year in Raleigh and the biggest branch at Precision Walls. And building those teams are so important in doing that. And that whole monkey management thing is a key to it. So in transitioning, I think transition leadership is a really important part of what we do in our career. And you, you go into a new position and you have to transition to this new job. When you look back on when you went to Wilmington and then you went to Raleigh, were there a couple of things that you could suggest to people to point out that you think are most important in those transitions? For me, the first one was I set up a two-hour meeting with each person on the team before I ever did anything. And I just, I asked every one of them three simple things. What should we start doing? What should we stop doing? And what should we keep doing? I love that model. It's such a simple thing, right? It's easy. And, you know, my first thought was they live in this house and they've lived here, some of them, for 10, 12 years. I just walked through the front door. So I would rather let the residents of that house tell me, hey, this is what's working. This is what's not working. And then the last thing I said, if there's any one thing you could change about this business, what would you change today? Mm. And then just took notes from every one of them. And the amazing thing is they already knew what was broken. Yeah. I mean, it just came pouring out because they had, they had this opportunity. They had someone that didn't have a bias. I think the other good thing in the transition, they don't have a history. Mm -hmm. So I'm just an absolute objective observer. And I'm saying, tell me how to fix this. Yeah. 
the other thing that I thought was important at the end of that first year is I always did 360 reviews. Mm. And that was a great tool because it told me, hey, you are working on the things that they told you you need to work on. I, sometimes I thought I was, and when I got the 360s back, I found out I wasn't. <laughs> so I had to change pretty quickly. I've, I've often said that our leadership perspective of ourself is so flawed when you get oh, that God. perspective from people around you you go oh my i i do that mm-hmm. it's eye-opening isn't it very much you know you said something earlier where you you paid attention and learned something from everybody you came in contact with and a 360 is kind of the embodiment of that with those that you work with that says okay i'm open to this tell me what you think and people are afraid of these things they don't have to accept what everybody says, but it certainly is some insight into the things that you're good at, the things that you have limitations at, and then can adjust. How important is it for a leader to really spend the time to listen? I think that's it's the most important job. Mm. I mean, with his people, you know, obviously leader, you've got to create a vision and you've got to communicate the vision and you've got to set a strategic plan. But at the end of the day, we're not doers, we're facilitators. Mm-hmm. And I think we, we have to really work hard and polish our active listening skills. And I'll give you credit, you, you introduced me to this and it's been one of the greatest things I've ever read and studied is developing a greater sense of emotional intelligence. Mm. And I think those two things have to work together. Yeah, the true highest level of emotional intelligence is empathic listening, which uh, listening, empathy, emotional intelligence all combined into one is, uh, and we know that scientifically emotional intelligence is directly correlated to leadership effectiveness and it can be improved. Mm -hmm. So you've mentioned emotional intelligence a couple of times now, and it's a core of some of the work that we do at uh, Staterius. And it's at the core of our balance of compassionate accountability what we teach all of our leaders. When you think about compassionate accountability, do you see leaders struggle with that? I, I've seen a lot of leaders struggle with that balance. They seem to be either or. You know, our dads were all about accountability. Uh, my mom was about compassion. <laughs> you know, yeah. That's where I got that from. I wasn't getting compassion from my dad. So I, I saw both sides, but not from one person. And the greatest leaders I've worked for seem to be able to balance the two. Has that been your experience? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. You can tell when you're in the presence of somebody who is a leader and you maybe aren't performing to the level they want you to, but the conversation you're having is actually motivational Mm. because they, they do care and they do have compassion for you and they're trying to get you to the top tier of your performance. You know, we talk constantly about when we have a meeting with people, if they're not performing, make it a positive meeting, not a negative meeting. How do you make a uh, positive meeting in a down market? A results are bad, a branch is not doing well, you're expecting to hit goals for a quarter and you come up 25% short. How do you how do you create positiveness out of that? Well, it starts, number one, with the leader's attitude. You know, your attitude is going to be your team's attitude. Hmm. And as bad as the news might be and as bad as the economy might be, you've got to walk in there every day. You've got to have a smile on your face. And you say, guys, listen, we're in a fight, but we're in it together. Right. 
And all we have to do is outperform our competition. Mm. We don't mm. have to beat everyone, but our closest competitor, if we can be just a little bit better, that's all we have to do. But I think it starts there with the leader. He's got to be positive. He's got to be energetic. No matter how bad things are around him, he's, he has got to bring the positive energy every day. But in the meeting, like you talked about, Gary, um, the thing that I, I always like to go to is, you know, we're a team. I believe in you or you would not be on this team. Mm. You know, I want you to know you were handpicked to be in this room. So I know we're going to be successful. Yeah. What you said underneath some of that is making sure that we focus our competitive drive in the right way. And our competitive drive is against the competition, not against each other. Right. When we start to compete against each other for ideas or strategies or priorities, if there's internal competition, it can be destructive. And what you said, especially in a down market or at a tough time, is like you said, I just have to be a little bit better than the competition. It reminds me of the joke of the two guys that are in the in the woods and the guy starts putting his sneakers on when a bear is running after him. And he says, what are you doing? You can't outrun the bear. And he says, I don't have to. I just have to outrun you. That's right. That's right. And it's, it's you know, everybody's heard the joke, but it's exactly what you're saying. That's the, the metaphors. We just have to outrun our competition a little bit, mm-hmm. just be a little bit better. And the only way to do that is with the team. That's right. So what do you think makes strong teams? Well, first, it's the obvious. Hire the best talent. Mm. Don't skimp on money. I cannot say that enough. We literally had a meeting about this Monday with, with a couple of our division managers because they've struggled building a team. And when we looked at their average aggregate pay rate in their office, they had the lowest pay rate of any division we had in the company. We said, guys, you're, you're missing the point. Spend the money. Get the best people because they will pay for themselves. Especially in today's market. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Get the best people. So I think, first of all, you, you've got to be willing to make the financial investment to have the best people on your team because they are an investment. Mm. You, mm. you have to look at those people as an investment. The second thing, I think the team, and you and I actually, I'm, I'm telling on us both, but you and I had a conversation yesterday and I brought it up. I think the team has to believe that the leader is going to create value in their life some way. Mm. Mm. He comes to work every day knowing I've got to create value in your life. How do you do that? It can be education. You know, you're teaching them a new a new skill set, a new competency. You're giving them opportunities that they never had before. You're introducing them to a broader network of people. All of these things create value. Yeah. They they all create value. Yeah, every sales team I ever led, I would start off in transition by telling people within the first week. I don't know what's going to happen, but if you stay with me for the next year, I will I will improve your skills enough where you will have a career for the rest of your life in sales. Absolutely. Right? So it was about them. It's about us. I mean, obviously, there's some self-serving end to that, but it's really understanding the person, the process, and always improving skills. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that resonates with me, and I'm sure it does with a lot of our listeners. You know, I think you, you've got to humanize yourself. Mm. If you're assembling a team and you're the leader, you, you've got to be a human. Mm. You've got to let them see the human side of you. You can't be a robot. Okay, so be human for a minute and tell me, what do you think your greatest strength is and what are your greatest limitations? Which is one of our, our steps in the seven steps of intentional leadership. We always look at strengths first and limitations. 
You know, I'm. I can tell you what I've observed from you as a, as a strength, because sometimes you, but you, you do it so intuitively. I've seen you do this on sales calls with clients, where you are by listening and paying attention to the client, you're able to figure out almost the exact issue that's holding them back. And I can remember you on the phone years ago with Pat and having a conversation with a client. And this was like a million dollar deal. It was like a million dollar, over a million dollars that the client was looking to spend with Precision Walls. And there was a $6,000 item that was in his cry. He just didn't want to spend that $6,000. And you were able within a couple of minutes, and Pat had been working on this for weeks, and you were able to, in a couple of minutes, say, you know, does that bother you? And he says, yeah. He says, okay, let's take that out. Are we ready to go? And he says, yeah. And it was this, this little tiny item and you, you were able to figure it out. You do that on the fly intuitively. Um, thank you. I would say humbly, my, my greatest strength I do think is reading people. Mm. I don't know where it comes from. You, you actually coached me on this a few years ago. And for everybody that doesn't know, Gary was a coach of mine for what, three or four years. Yeah. And it was, and you told Brian that you took my advice 25% of the time. No, <laughs> and, and then and then said, and Brian said, was that enough? And you said, no. <laughs> uh, no, it was awesome. But, I'm just um, kidding. I think it's just a talent. People have a talent. That's one I have. Yes. I, and I'll be honest with you. I'm not proud to say this at all, but I, I have to be honest. My weakness is empathy. That That is my biggest weakness. Your ability to be able to understand and be compassionate and empathetic with somebody else, you're challenged with that. I understand it completely. Um, you understand it intellectually, but not emotionally. Emotionally, my my biggest fault is I get too focused on the objective, mm-hmm. and and I have to pull back and be conscious of the emotions of the people around me from an empathetic point of view. And you know that's the INTP in me, where it's all about a problem solving and let's go solve problems. But again, thanks to coaching from people like you, I've I've spent the last six or seven years working on developing more empathy. And yeah. I finally got a compliment from my wife. I made a comment one night watching a show we were watching. I don't remember what it was. She said, I can't believe you said that. You've never said that before. So I took that as a positive. Wow. We can all continue to develop, right? Be a lifetime learner. So last question I want to ask you, and oh, by the way, the INTP that Richard is referring to is the uh, profile for a Myers-Briggs personality profile. And if you want to take that online, you can just do a search and look it up. So Richard, if you were going to write a letter to yourself and let's say your 20 to 25 year old self, and you could write it now and send it back, what would that letter say? Make sure that you are committed to being a lifetime learner. Mm. Don't ever stop learning. Learning what not to do is as important as learning what to do. Work every single day on developing and polishing your people skills. Mm. Go to work every day trying to make sure your boss knows that he made a great decision hiring you. Mm. I think that's important. And this is one I wish I had when I was 25. Uh, Slow down and enjoy the journey because it's... It's a lot of fun. Mm. Yeah, some great advice. Some great advice. You know, when uh, Warren Buffett and Bill Gates met, they talked about a couple of the most important things was one was focus and the other was when to say no. Learn to say no a lot. Oh. Because you can't focus if you don't notice how to say no. 
And I think as leaders, you just you just kind of summarize that by you know focusing every day on the people, focusing on uh, your objectives, doing that, but really focus, and at the same time knowing what not to do. That's a it's a big thing. Is we tend to do that as parents. We say I'm not going to be like my my father or my right. mother, uh, and then we do a lot of the same things <laughs> once we get there. But um, I think our parents did okay, Richard. I think our parents did okay. They did. I wish I still had them here. Hey, Richard, I really, really appreciate your time getting up early and getting the technology ready to go is very much appreciated. You've brought up a lot of topics and uh, I've created a couple of themes here that I might have in the future. And if you'd be willing, I would love to have you on again sometime and circle around. I'm here anytime you need me. Just call. I appreciate it. Hey, uh, Richard from Precision Walls. Uh, If you need any drywall done, Precision Walls is the team to go for. They're in Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee. Where else are you now? That's it right now. Is that it? Yeah. That's it. Uh, Anywhere in the Southwest, though, they, they can travel. And a great company. I had the opportunity to work with them for years. And uh, I think your motto is, uh, what is your motto? Oh, we want to be the person that develops relationships to help drive your job. Yeah, that's it. Helps drive your job. And people that are outside of construction may not understand what that means, but the complexity of what you do in drywall, especially in, in anything, residential or commercial, gets so complex because you have to work around everybody. And uh, you got to work around the electrical and the HVAC and, you know, everybody. And it's a tough juggling act. And Precision Walls does an awesome, awesome job with that. All right. Well, thank you so much, Richard. And uh, I'm sure we'll see you around. This is Dr. Gary making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thank you. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com, S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S.com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit peterkatz.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.